Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 12 through 28, so we'll start at 12. Give you guys a second to open up your Bibles. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise the prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you faithful, he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We've been walking through Thessalonians, and today is the end of this first letter. Um, I asked the question because, you know, there's this list of imperatives, these sort of commands to, uh, of what community life would look like. And it just gets you to think a little bit, I think, about what Christian community, how it's expressed concretely uh, with other people. Uh, this passage is actually uh, a famous one for a couple of reasons, but one of them is... Uh, it, it features sort of a, a message in the heart of what we read, the, the command to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to uh, give thanks, comes up in Corey Ten Boom's um, biography, the, the Hiding Place, her experience of uh, surviving and living through concentration camps. Uh, and, and if you recall, for those of you that have read it, if you recall, she shares in that moment as she sort of faced the inhumanity of uh, Ravensbrook that uh, this, this sort of stumbling into this passage and what it meant to be thankful in all circumstances. And she describes in that moment, she's there with her sister, what could they possibly have to be thankful for uh, in the midst of all that they were experiencing, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances. This scripture took on some new life as they entered their flea-infested barracks. And you know when she tells the story, she says, well, in the moment, you know, like there was nothing to be thankful for but in that moment you know gratitude for the fleas right she's like I will not I will not express gratitude for the fleas but it wasn't long into their experience there at Ravensbrook that Corey and her sister Betsy realized why they could be thankful even for the fleas as she expresses in that biography that the guards stayed away from their barracks because of the flea infestation and as a result they were free to pray and read scripture every night I realize that's an extreme and sort of uh, expression of Christian faith that feels perhaps, at least in our context at this moment in Johnson County, sort of distant um, and not one that's sort of maybe easily graspable. But it does like, 
prompt the question, you know, what does it look like? Here Paul gives this list of really concrete expressions of the Christian faith. And uh, what's it look like to, to live into them or up to them or out of them? Uh, what's it look like? I, I want us to hold the reading this morning the same way we've held every uh, sort of reflection on Thessalonians to this point. I want to take us all the way back to the question we asked right at the beginning. Has it ever felt like your Christian faith, the Christian faith, your Christian faith perhaps, uh, was or is incompatible with the world? in which you live, the spaces you inhabit, the places you work, the places you go for leisure, the neighbors you hang out with, the cultural context you find yourself in when you engage civically, all these kinds of things. What does it look like to live the Christian faith there? Certainly, uh, Corey and her sister, in the extremes of their situation, were wrestling with the same sort of question. What did it mean to believe in Jesus and God in the context of their extreme uh, suffering? What did it mean to live into that or out of it there? And then I asked the same question of us. Is it possible to live the Christian faith for it to survive and thrive in a world that, um, you know, in her case was violently opposed, but perhaps in a world that is indifferent or sometimes hostile? Uh, what does it look like for your faith to find expression at home, at work? And then what, what kind of church sustains that kind of vision? What, what kind of church helps something like that find expression. These are the questions we've been sitting with as we stepped into every reading in Thessalonians, that Paul, writing to this early group of Christians, it's all new, right? It's all new. Jesus has been raised from the dead, and they're trying to make sense of this reality now in their lives, and so Paul has been giving practical instruction. He's been rooting them in, in sort of foundational truths that will shape them, but they're just trying to figure out how to live their faith in the context of the world that they already inhabit. And you and I are in the same conversation this morning. This week's reading, where as Paul sort of lands the plane, if you will, bring, you know, just here's the visual, brings it in, right? I don't know. Uh, as, Paul, as Paul lands the plane, right? He, he does so with uh, a, a kind of like level of, a forceful level of specificity, right? He, he just, it's just these bullet points of like, rejoice always, pray continually, uh, pursue good, abstain from evil. It's just like boom, boom, boom. And, and we're going to reflect on these in a moment uh, in some detail, though not a lot. But uh, I, I kind of want us to hold all of it together this morning with this initial question, what does Christian faith look like in context, the context of the culture and world it is in, your world? And here, uh, what uh, Clint read for us, this whole passage, as, again, he hear it sort of in its wholeness together. And I think the first observation I want to make is that the Christian faith in context uh, is a community of, of people, right? That Paul lists these things. It's not to say it's not lived in isolation, but it's intention, it's design. We're humans, and we're caught up in the story of God and the world, his people, his kingdom in the world. Uh, the Christian faith, then, in context is a community. It's, it's not meant to be a solitary life of sort of spiritual pursuits. It's a shared one. It happens um, in community. And interestingly, in this passage, that community is marked by peace. We, we, we hit that observation last week and, and previous weeks, but it's interesting to me that in our reading this morning, it's bookended at the beginning and near the end. So in verse 13, be at peace among yourselves, he says. In your community of life together, be at peace. And then he finishes with this benediction, this prayer, the God of peace himself will be at work in your midst. 
It's bookended, right? You can hear, it's almost as if he says, a, a reference he made earlier, what's it mean to, to live the Christian faith in context? What's it mean, as he said earlier, to live quietly before the world uh, in a way that they are drawn into the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus? What's it mean, he says, to live that way? Well, to live that way is to live peaceably with each other. And, and then if we hear it that way, I think, well, then we hear all the bullet points that follow. Perhaps as, a, you know, as an expression of, well, what makes for peace? What makes for peaceful community with one another? Well, caring for leaders in your community, admonishing those who maybe, like everyone is working and contributing, but maybe you're just along for the ride and you're happy to let someone else do the work. Paul says, well, let's admonish those and, and everyone get involved. Encourage those who are faint-hearted, who are weary and, and tired and haven't the faith to sort of sustain themselves. Help those who are weak physically, economically, be patient with, with everybody, which is interesting. Be patient with everybody. And don't repay wrong with wrong, he says. Do what is good. This one blows my mind. Do what is good for each other and for everyone. Right? What does it mean to live peaceably? It just runs down this list. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Don't quench the spirit, he says. Right, God is at work, and be open and sensitive to that. And then he says, don't be cynical, uh, but be discerning, right? As you step into God's word, as, as now you're engaging in one another's lives and community, drawing each other forward, he says, don't be cynical, but be discerning. Hold on to what is good. Abstain from evil. I got to think, if he were communicating this today, it'd all have been like gifts, gifts, gifs, gifs, gifies, gifs, I don't know. It'd have been gifts or memes, Right? He'd have used like emoticons. Is that what they are? Emojis. No. <laughs> right? uh, should have quit while I was maybe ahead. I don't know. Right? It, it just feels like he's communicating all of these sort of bullet pointed things without much context. Like it would have been a meme for like rejoicing always or some sort of humorous picture about what it means to pray in all circumstances. Just like boom, 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 boom. No sort of conversational context is how they, is how they hit us. But if we hear them all together, Right? It paints this sort of beautiful portrait, an almost sort of forceful portrait of what Christian community in the world can, can look like. And this morning, we, we could, you could spend weeks on any one of these. We could talk at length and not say all that is to be said about what it would mean for you to pray in all the circumstances of your life, the good ones and the bad ones, or to give thanks. What does it mean to trust in God and give thanks in all of the circumstances of your life. We, we, could, we could spend weeks on any one of these bullet points, but to hear them all together, this conversation as a whole, we're drawn into a, a sort of beautiful expression of what the Christian faith can look like in context, in the world that is angry and divisive and quick to cancel and slow to forgive, in a world that is just ripping apart, it seems, at, at the seams, right? What, 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 what this promise this imperative draws us into is a beautiful picture of what the Christian faith can and ought to look like. I think there have been lots of attempts to sort of, um, you know, summarize. We could try to like categorize these things. You might say this list sort of, here's a few attempts. If you want to sort of jot it down, you could go back and look if you're a note taker uh, uh, this morning. But, you know, on, in the list, maybe you have sort of the Christian faith is shaped or give an expression how we relate to leaders, how we relate to each other, and how we relate to God. All those things are in this list. 
Or maybe you might characterize from this list, a Christian community is one that is led and one that is caring and one that is worshiping and one that is holy, right? And you, all of these sort of things find expression on the list. Or maybe, maybe the Christian community is a praying community, a loving community, and a listening community. And all of those spaces relate to sort of how we relate to each other. And God, I, I don't know how you want to sort of categorize them. You could make any sort of number of attempts. But again, rather than he sort of zero in on one this morning, I invite us to hear them all together. And I suppose any human reaction to that is to say, well, where am I in that list? Where's Park City on that list? Where does my heart, how does it respond to the command to pray or to always be thankful or to uh, do good for everyone, even the people I don't like? I don't know where you fall on that list. I, I really want to borrow someone else's joke here and say, you know, that my wife is better at not being idle and I'm better at abstaining from evil. But uh, I want to assign you a spot on that list, but I want to come off looking all right. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know sort of, again, where you are there. But here's, here's what I think is the invitation of the passage this morning. This is what Christian community the Christian faith looks like in context, it happens with each other, right? We, we are sharpened wherever you are on that list, right? Whatever you're like, oh, I'm doing pretty good, or oh my goodness, like that's, a, that's something I could never reach. My life, my heart is too broken. Wherever you are on that list, it doesn't matter because we're in, we're in it as a community, sharpening one another, encouraging one another, pulling each other forward, helping each other along. I, again, think it's a beautiful portrait. I, I, I came across a few ways of maybe helping us to think about it, and I'll just give us this one. Uh, one author described it as like, uh, think of it as like learning a language. Right? If any of you guys are bilingual or you, some of you speak legalese, isn't that a thing? I don't know, looking at you guys, but, uh, you know, or you've got medicine folks in here. When my wife gets around others, I'm like, I just I check out because I don't know what they're talking about or it grosses me out, in which case... I'm a win-win. I just remove myself, right? But if we think about sort of this passage as, as kind of like learning a, a new language, I think it works on two levels. One, on its sort of the complexity, the, the challenge, right? It's, it's slow. It, it takes time, particularly older in, in life. You know, you try to step into that activity, right? Like ours, our mother tongue, the language in which we have been formed is the language of the world. And, and our hearts are bent that way. We're wired that way ever since the fall, right? We, this is the language we know. And now Paul says, well, actually, there's a different way to speak. Let me teach you something new. And, and, and the, the, the growth from the one space to the other is fraught with like challenges. It's not always easy. If we think of it that way, um, the, uh, one author I think says you can think of this list as kind of like almost like the sort of catchy phrases you learn to remember, you know, the rules of a new language. Uh, you know, like I before E except after C. Yeah, I don't know. I could keep going, but yeah, except for, like, yeah, anyway. All right, you guys are like, please don't do grammar. It's too early. Uh, 
Uh, right? Or, or I thought, similarly, it's not grammar, but my mind went to like, and I've talked about this before when my kids were younger, we spent a lot of time with Daniel Tiger, right, from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And every episode was a jingle, a song that tried to instill like, you know, some new way of being in the world. Like, you got to try new foods because it might taste good, right? Like every time, it's, it's stayed with me for ages. And, but but the, to think of this list, you know, this particular collection of instructions, it's like jingles that, that he, he pulls us into to help us remember there's a different way to be in the world, a different way to speak. They're, they're, they're kind of like memory aids that are themselves full of joy that draw us into this beautiful portrait that, that God has sort of called us into, as we'll see in just a moment. But not just that it's sort of complex. It's, it's slow. It takes time. I think sometimes the idea, as Paul has hit it again and again, of being holy, whether you're close to the church or not, if, sometimes if we're away from it, it's like the expectation. We don't even know what holy means, but we know we expect it of Christ's followers. But even within, you, know, like you read these lists, and it can feel daunting. It can feel o- overwhelming. But to hear it in this way, to remember that it's a process, that sometimes it's slow, that it's not without its challenges, I think it breeds a bit of hope. I think it helps us in moments when we fall desperately short, when we know, when we can see the failure coming in the future, that we will not live up to this standard. It helps us to know that uh, this is an invitation of God, and be it slow or long, uh, it is his work in our lives together. I, I, I thought some, I thought, I have a couple of images here. I think sometimes we hear a list like this, and this is, well, just for what it's worth, this is the first image. I think this is how we think of Christian uh, growth, right? So we read a list like this and others in the New Testament, and for many of us, it's like, okay, there's a box I ticked, I believe in Jesus, and now it's like the first arrow. It's sort of a, just a upward growth, right? This is what holiness should look like. Um, and, uh, and sometimes I think we're like, you know, I think if we're honest, nobody, everybody's like, I know that's not true, right? <laughs> You're like, that's, you know, that might be true of me. It's certainly not true of my spouse or my friend <laughs> or my neighbor. But uh, for me, you know, I, you know, but maybe we're a little more honest and we go for the second arrow. We're like, okay, this is a more accurate description. And, you know, it has its ups and downs, but we're still sort of aiming this thing up. I want to pr- su- propose to you that it looks a little bit more like this next picture, at least for me. Uh, right? It's just like uh, it, it, the Christian sort of faith in my own life and in the context of community is, I don't, I don't know that I end up any higher up that ladder than I did when I started. And I wonder if the ladder is even a helpful image to begin with. And I'm all over the map and I have good days and bad. And, and uh, this journey into growing into these things just feels, oh, man, I'm reminded of the hymn, the lyric of a hymn I've been listening to recently that when from grace I fell, Christ was lower Still, that somehow, even in the midst of this mess of my attempts at holiness, if I were to pick one of the items on the list and just zero in on it, I might do okay for a while, but inevitably, right, like, I would fall short. And yet, and yet we move to sort of the next point of emphasis I want you to consider with me this morning. That after this list, after this list of things that Paul gives us about what Christian faith and community uh, in the in context, looks like it's community of people called into holiness, whose lives and characters are changing. But then he tells us something interesting that that oh, which I, I just I tip my hand here that, that that this is a community that is called specifically that is called. 
Uh, he says in verse 24, the one who calls you, which is a loaded word. I just, and here's how I want to approach it this morning. I just want us to think about it for a moment. It's a loaded word, but, but I think what it does, if it does nothing else, it pulls the rug out from under sort of holiness as your attempts to sort of get better, right? It, 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 whatever it does, it says that your growth in the Christian faith is not, is not simply your like willpower and your ability to do whatever list is in front of you. Called, it's a community that's been called. So I just want to invite you to think about it for a minute with me. You know, Paul will use this language in other places as well. In Romans, uh, he'll talk about uh, ones who are called to belong to Jesus. The church, the name church in the New Testament is a, is a different word, but there's the same image of being called out, the called out uh, ones. I want you to think about the word calls for a minute. What, what kind of word? I'm just going to ask some questions. And I realize the irony because it's talking about it's community. You should have a conversation, but I'm asking you to have a conversation with your own heart in, in this moment. So we're going to be very individualistic in this particular moment, but that's okay. You're a gracious bunch, and you're ready for the Chiefs game. But uh, what kind of word is calls? What, what feelings or associations come to your mind when you, when you hear this that uh, you have been called? Whatever your relationship to faith this morning, whatever brought you here, however you are present with us this morning, this is, this is a word for you. You have been called. You've been called. What, what does it mean? Uh, what does it feel like to be called simply to belong to Jesus? Whatever the state of the arrow of your life Okay, whatever that arrow looks like for you, it doesn't change this truth because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. You've been called. God is calling you. I, I mentioned a few, I don't know how far back. I just, I, I, I read uh, Paul Simon uh, biography, uh, a memoir he wrote called Miracle and Wonder, Conversations with Paul. Simon. And in it, he told an interesting story about the writing. Do you guys, any Simon and Garfunkel fans? Yeah, those are like three of us. All right. Uh, any of, any of uh, he, he tells the story about the song, right, the writing of the song, A Bridge Over Troubled Water. You guys familiar with this one? Should I, I won't try to sing it. Yeah, just it's like, it's, 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 yeah. you want to do that to yourself, buddy? Just said, you go ahead, right? Uh, like a bridge over troubled water, I, I, I will lay me down, right? Like, uh, it's just this beautiful sort of, uh, I guess it's a ballad. Um, but he talks about the writing of that song. And that in the writing of that song, he wrote it specifically for his musical sort of collaborator. Uh, so Paul Simon wrote it before Art Garfunkel. And uh, it was just this beautiful. It grew into this sort of signature piece. It was incredible. Right, uniquely sort of written and performed by Artie, his friend. Uh, it was picked up a little later, and another version of the song was done by Aretha Franklin, uh, which if you know the song, and, and then you can sort of hear it in the context in which Aretha Franklin and their gospel sort of uh, um, uh, roots would have coming through here, again, it sort of took on a life of its own, became this beautiful, uh, large sort of presence musically, culturally. And he talked about how uh, in the midst of that, 
what happened was he, he was never confident enough to sing it himself. So he and his partner went their separate ways, and he's now writing and performing on his own, a song that he wrote that was his song, and yet never felt confident to perform it. But he's, he also said one other thing that I found interesting about a moment earlier in that experience, talking to his mom about, uh, about sort of his musical career and the writing of this song, and he, it came up several times throughout the book, but in this particular moment, early in the telling of the story, he says, I, you know, my mom, and uh, he's being interviewed, I think it's Malcolm Gladwell is interviewing him, I can't remember, but uh, he says, you know, you, his mom said to me, you know, you have a lovely voice, Paul, but Artie has a fine voice, right? You have, a, you have a lovely voice, Paul, but Artie has a fine voice. And he said over the course of his memoir, and this particular case, he's like, I guess you can see how long that sentence has lived in my mind. It would take him decades, sort of the combination of the experience of that song and then this voice in his head, it would take him decades before he said he, he could finally revisit the song and make it his own. Make it sound, he said, like me. I think of that experience when I think of you and me here this morning. And when we run into a promise like what we've read this morning, you have been called. I don't know what kind of word, I suppose, has been sort of spoken over, called out in you, your life this morning. I don't know what sort of word has been spoken over the condition of the arrow in your life, over uh, what, what, what you have brought into this place this morning, but the hope of the gospel speaks, we're told, a better word. You belong to Jesus. He has called you. He has, he has called you. And, and maybe you're here and whatever sort of phrases from your life are just knocking around in there and, and a holiness list seems incredibly out of reach or uh, irrelevant given the state of your life. None of that matters. You have been called. And then Paul does this beautiful thing as we close. You have been called by one who is faithful. He will do it. Do you, do you hear the gospel this morning? The one who calls you is faithful. He, he will do it. It's so important that Paul says it twice. Right, he says it at the end, verse 24, he who calls you is faithful, he will do it. But then he uses different words, but he says the same thing in his conclusion to the letter, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. His grace, his work. Paul has a lot to say about what the Christian faith looks like in context. He has a lot to say about the church, its life together, its unity, its suffering, its witness in the world. But the thing that he comes back to again and again and again, the most significant thing about the church is that it is a community of people who are held in existence, not by some effort or will of their own, but by the sheer faithfulness of God. And that is true of you, your presence in our community 
this morning. I think we can read a passage like this, and it's real easy to say, hey, here's a list of the things God wants. Now get on with it, right? Get out there and do it. But Paul is careful again and again and again and again. Yeah, pursue those things. Do them. Focus on one. Pick one. Go for it. Jump all in. But at every turn, let me remind you, the one who calls you here is faithful. And he is the one who will do it. I want to leave you with one final image. And then we're going to close with communion and a, a final hymn. And then we'll be done this morning. But uh, I, I came across this, uh, this little satirical sort of writing website. You know, they poke a bit of fun at culture and life. And this one I thought had some relevance for our reading this morning. This was the title, uh, I cannot believe you heartlessly threw away the 16th craft I brought you home from preschool this week. Right? So it's written from the viewpoint of a preschooler to their parents. I'm not going to read all of it, but just so you didn't miss the title there. I can't believe you heartlessly threw away the 16th craft I brought home from preschool this week. And this is how the author begins. While on my way to dispose of a breakfast of which I only took three bites, I noticed something that has broken my heart. The 16th craft I made at preschool this week, stuffed into the garbage beneath a layer of yesterday's trash as if I wouldn't find it. All the parents in the room are like, oh yes, I did that last night. That's why I take it out every night. Amateurs, right? So then the author goes on to articulate, you know, uh, to run down the list of these various crafts that have been overlooked, ignored, attempted perhaps, a, 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 a show of appreciation, but then readily dismissed. And this is where the author finishes. My future therapy bills are already increasing over the denial of genius presented through this unforgivable act of parental neglect. But, the child says, Trauma creates great art. And with that, I'm prepared to unveil my greatest work yet, a rainbow mural of permanent markers. All over the bathroom, on every surface I could reach, the sink, the baseboards, the shower curtain, the mirror, the bolts that hold the toilet down to the floor, the light switch, the door. The fancy tile you had installed during a remodel before I was born. <laughs> I'm hopeful the tears I see forming in your eyes represent how moved you are by my magnum opus. It feels great to finally have my work be respected the way it should. I I think it's an article that maps well onto our experiences of holiness. Our, our attempts, our broken attempts to sort of live beautiful and holy lives. Our attempts to sort of tilt the scales in our favor or do enough good to outweigh the bad or all of those kinds of things we do. And I think at the end of the, at the, end of the day, we sort of map this experience onto that. We, we think too much of our own artwork, if you will, and too little of the parent, uh, the father in heaven to whom we have presented it. We think he may be like the 
parent here, the parent we have all known or been, is like, you know, this, let me, this, what relevance does this have? I'll just dismiss it over here. But to do that, I think, is not to hear the gospel that Paul has written for us this morning. The one who calls you is faithful. And whatever you scribble with your life, he is faithful. He will do it. We, we in, the, in the gospel, I think, where we're prone to think too much of our art, our holiness, and too little of God, the gospel meets us there and says, let's just get honest about all this and flip all this around, and let me help you think less of your art and more of the one to whom you have presented it. He is full of grace. And because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, there is a new life open to you. He is faithful. He will Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.